0: Well, again, welcome to Fresh Vision Church. My name is Angel. I'm the pastor here. We're um, a Calvary Chapel church here in El Paso, Texas, in the northeast side. And um, if you're watching and listening to this message, um, we want to welcome you. Um, If you're in the area, we want to invite you to come check us out. If you want um, more information about our church, our statement of faith, our um, doctrinal beliefs, or you know, it's, it's, it'll be on our website. And the address to our website is fvcelp.org. And if you have any comments, questions, concerns, we have a section in the bottom of the webpage where you can post that, It'll where you can send me an email and it'll, I'll get it and I'll respond as soon as I can. Also on social media, you can also get a hold of me there. Um, we have a Facebook page, Twitter page, Instagram, um, YouTube so again uh, please feel free to leave a comment share this video um, like it and and yeah um, you know we just want to bless you want to bless bless others and um, and who knows who knows who's watching this um, uh, from around the world well again my prayers are always that and someone out there is watching and listening again I think that's it and I think I just need just a couple seconds to finish, get set up here, and we'll begin with today's message. All right, so this morning, we're going to be beginning a new chapter, Luke chapter 21. And again, we're winding down in this chapter, and we're getting closer and closer to the crucifixion and the crucifixion of Christ. Um, but this morning, I've titled our message, Give God Your All in All. In the passages we're going to be reading this morning, the Lord will give us a lesson on sacrificial giving and will also begin to deliver an important message about events that will take place in the future. So I hope that by the time you leave, um, you'll learn these couple things. And when it comes to money, your stewardship will be judged on what you have left, not what you give. And the other thing that we're going to be seeing is that when Jesus Christ returns in glory, he expects his people to be ready for him. But if there was anything at all, I want you to leave here with this morning. I want you to know to give God your all in all. And again, that'll become more clear as we go through this passage. So one more time before we get into God's word, let's... Um, let's pray and ask for him to speak to us this morning. Lord God, as we open up your word, we ask that you speak to us uh, loudly, powerfully. Um, Lord, um, tell us what it is that you want us to know, Lord. Um, many of us, many of those watching and listening are yearning are desperate to hear from you, Lord. So I ask that now as we continue to dedicate this time to you, that you will speak to our hearts and our minds. We pray for those that, are, that couldn't make it, that this message be a blessing. Um, again, thank you. And again, fill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, verse 1. And the word of God says, He looked up, and saw the rich man dropping their offerings into the temple treasury he also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins truly i tell you he said this poor widow has put in more than all of them for all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on I'll Stop there real quick, real quick and break this down because after this, we, it goes on to a totally different topic. Now, last week when we ended chapter 20, we saw how the Lord had issued a prophetic condemnation to the scribes for manipulating widows from their possessions so that they'd get richer. Well, chapter 21 begins with a lesson on giving from a poor widow. So as Jesus was in the temple teaching as usual, he noticed that the rich were dropping in their offerings into the temple treasury. The way they did it, though, was in a way that was absolutely noticeable to everybody. And more than likely, they were reciting long prayers just as chapter 20, verse 47 said. Well, as he continued to observe, his attention all of a sudden shifted to a poor widow dropping two tiny coins in the same treasury. Those two copper coins, known as leptas, were each worth about one one one-hundredth of a denarii, and it was the smallest denomination acceptable as a gift. Thus, For many who saw that, her contribution would have been seen as inconsequential and unworthy of really being compared to the grand gifts that others were putting into that box or into that treasury. But the Lord did. He did notice. And her small gift became the subject of his next teaching. It moved them so much that he wanted to teach on it. He first comments in verse 3 that this poor widow has put in more than all of them. What he's saying here is that the value of these so-called worthless coins were, more, were worth more than everything in the treasury combined. Everything that the wealthy had put in there. So what was it that made her gift more valuable than the rest? Well, he explains that next in verse 4. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she, out of her, out of her poverty, she has put all that she had to live on. Now, I just want to just stop real quick and just quickly mention that, you know, here at Fresh Vision Church, we go through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse and, you know, I don't, um, I don't pick and choose um, verses or passages um, just to fit my needs or the needs of the church, you know. And so when it comes to issues of money and finances, it, it's usually a pretty, you know, difficult subject because for some that it, it can be touchy. People have been hurt by other churches because of money. Well, again, that's my, not my intention here, and and as many of you know, you know we the Lord has, I don't know how it's happened, but the Lord has blessed us as a church, you know, with you know the numbers that we have, and we're still be able to 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 maintain, pay the rent, pay the bills, and um, so I've always left it up to God. You know, if He wants the doors open here, He'll He'll make it. He'll do so so i i won't be one i've never i will never be one to 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 plead to beg to 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 make you know all kinds of do all kinds of things in order to get your money that's not that's never my intention again we just happen to be here in this particular passage now in chapter twenty one where jesus talks about stewardship when it comes to your finances. Um, so again, what was it that made her gift valuable? Well, she explains that in verse 4. There, in other words, the wealthy put in tiny, a tiny part of just the extra money that they had. Whereas the widow gave everything that she had. See, the rich hadn't really sacrificed anything but that poor woman whose income may have been devoured by the scribes had sacrificially given it all. So let me just give you three lessons we can learn from these first four verses. Lesson one, giving is judged by the degree of sacrifice, meaning the value of a gift is determined by what it costs the payer or the giver. This is what made the widow's gift so valuable. This was something that even David understood when he said in 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. You see, the widow's small gift her gift of those two small copper coins doesn't represent the least we can give but the most are very all second lesson before god the spirit of giving determines the value of the gift more than the amount it says in second corinthians chapter 9 verse 7 that each person should do as he decided in his heart not reluctantly or out of compulsion since god loves a cheerful giver this shows us when it comes to what you give whether it's here in this church in that box or whether it's at another church or whether even if it's charity or um whatever is in your heart to give, God sees more than the portion. He also sees the, propor- the pro- proportion. See, men see what is given, but God sees what is left. And by that, he measures the gift and the condition of our hearts. See, the widow change the mindset that says i'll give when i have more well let me remind you again the widow had virtually nothing yet she was a giver this shows us that any of you can please god with what you give as much as the richest man can please god with his giving so even if you gave that, that one dollar that you have left in your wallet or in your purse and you gave it up sacrificially to God, willingly and guiltlessly with no, no problem, no issue, he sees it and is pleased. Lesson three. The actions of this poor widow are not to be seen as a requirement to get right with God. One does not earn a right standing with God by giving, sacrificially or otherwise. But these are the actions of one who is right with God. They prove one's standing with God. You see, the reality is that God doesn't need your money. If He did, then how much we would give would be more important than our heart in giving. instead it's our privilege to give to God. Look at it as a privilege, not because it's good for him, but rather because it's good for us. It blesses others and it shows where our hearts are. Let me remind you what it says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Winston Churchill once said, "We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give." Now he may have learned that from what Jesus said in Luke chapter six, verse thirty-eight: "Give, and you will receive; your gift will return to you in full, pressed down." shaken together to make room for more running over and poured into your lap the amount you give will determine the amount you get back well now as we continue on to verse 5 the as i mentioned in the beginning the narrative now shifts to a different topic that we'll be covering for the remainder of our time today and More than likely, yeah, we'll be covering this topic again next week as well. So let's go there now. Luke chapter 21, verse 5. As some were talking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, He, Jesus, said, These things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another. That will not be thrown down. Teacher, they asked him. So when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Then he said, watch out that you are not, be, that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Instead, it is necessary that these things take place first, but the end won't come right away. Then he told them, nation will be raised up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be violent earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places. And there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things they will lay your hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore make up your, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time, for I will give you such words of and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But not a hair of your head will be lost. By your endurance, gain your lives. Now, In this discord, we find the Lord speaking alternately of the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 and then of the conditions that will precede his second coming. It's an illustration of the law of double reference. The first being that his predictions will have a partial fulfillment in the siege of Titus which I mentioned and talked about briefly when we covered the end of chapter 19. Whereas the other will have a further and complete fulfillment at the end of the tribulation period. Now it's important to keep in mind that this message was given to Jews by a Jew about the future of the Jewish nation. So, although there are definite application to God's people, to us Christians today, the emphasis is on Jerusalem, the Jews, and the temple. As I said, this sermon focuses on a period of God's program called the tribulation period, when God will pour out his wrath on the nations nations of this world. Now, we here at Fresh Vision Church believe that this period will begin immediately after the Lord again comes in the air and takes his church to heaven at the rapture. Then at the appointed time, it will climax with the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. At which time he will defeat his foes and establish his kingdom. So here, again in this passage, during a lull, during a break between the back and forth with the opposition, verse 5 tells us that some of the Jews and maybe even some of his disciples took time to admire the striking beauty of Herod's temple. Now according to Ezra chapter 6, verse 15, this temple was originally built, rebuilt by Zerubbabel and Ezra but it was greatly expanded and improved and renovated by Herod. Josephus, the great Jewish historian, says, Herod the Great adorned the temple with white marble stone up to 67 feet long, 18 feet wide, and 12 feet high. Silver and gold decorated gates and doors. And also the best imported Babylonian tapestries that veiled the entrances, the entrance to the to the temple. The entire building project took 80 years, and was finished only seven years before it was destroyed. But for almost 1,000 years, it was the center of Jewish life. But nevertheless, as wonderful as it was, though, Jesus warned them not to be preoccupied with material things that would soon pass away. So essentially repeating repeating what he said in chapter 19, verses 41 through 44, he told them that the days will come when that temple will be totally destroyed which again did occur in 70 AD. But that splendor of the temple had become an idol for many Jews of that day. And the building, just the building itself, began to mean more to the people than who was supposed to be inside that building, who that, what that building represented, than God himself this, my friends, ought to show us that good things can become the worst idols. Good things can become the worst idols. And sometimes God sours or takes away even good things that we make into idols. Well, Jesus' prophecy about the temple immediately peaked the interest and curiosity of the disciples. So they asked him these two questions. When will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Well, in effect, Jesus answered the first question in the discourse itself and warned them not to attempt to focus and rely on just on any sign. So what he did was address the disciples' questions with a series of warnings and words of instructions. And again, this we'll be covering it this week and also next week as well. So here in our passage we just read, he first warns them not to be deceived by phony prophets and false Christs. Jesus knew that many would come after him. And many would come after he would die and be resurrected and was in heaven and, and would claim that they're the Messiah, the promised one of Israel. Claiming, again, either to be the political savior of Israel or, yes, even a spiritual savior. A one striking example of this was a man named Barakobah. Bar Kok- Kokba, who was 100 years after Jesus, who was alive 100 years and came about 100 years after Jesus. And many Jews considered him to be the Messiah. He started a widespread revolution against the Romans and enjoyed early success. People saw that he was doing some good things. But This was soon crushed. Our Lord then gave them, His disciples, His followers, one piece of advice. Do not follow them. Tragically, those who rejected Jesus when He came, when He was there with them, speaking and teaching and and informing them and warning them, those that were, were there and rejected Him as the Messiah, ended up following false messiah, messiahs who led them into death and destruction. Now let me give you another example. When the Romans came against Jerusalem, Josephus tells, tells too that of 6,000 refugees who perished in the flames of the temple porticos, deluded by a false prophet, who had on that day proclaimed to the people in the city that God commanded them to go up to the temple court to receive there the tokens of their deliverance. Sadly again, that false prophet misled them, and they were killed. The lesson that we can learn here is in rejecting truth, they were vulnerable to greater deception. So when we reject truth, we are opening ourselves up to being deceived. So again, when you don't accept it, when you don't believe in truth, you're more than likely to be deceived by falsehoods. Paul also warns young Timothy and us of this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Therefore, As a believer, be watchful of such people. Listen, read, and study what God has to say in his word. By knowing what he says, by understanding what he says, and again, you may not understand everything. I don't understand everything, but he does reveal it to you. That's how he speaks to you. He you know, and that's how you grow by just, you know, he shows you something that maybe you didn't understand before. And you're like, all of a sudden, you're oh, wow, I get it now. Thank you, Lord, for telling me. That's how he speaks to you. But he also speaks to you through the hearing of the word, through the studying of the word. So again, know it. By knowing what he says, it's going to help you spot a deceiver, a mile away. Jesus warns in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward are ravaging wolves. Well, the Lord then tells them in verse 9 that when they hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. What Jesus said here applied both to the coming destruction of Jerusalem and the yet to be fulfilled return of Jesus at the end of the age. Wars, revolutions, rebellions always have a tendency to rile people up. Either they're 100% for it, 100% against it, they get excited, they get anxious. They, you know, oh wow, another war, another, you know, is this, is this mean the, the end is coming, and, and, you know, it's just, it's a, they get into a fever pitch, and, and sadly again, some they just they get fearful, they get scared because they know that wars and rebellions will mean death. And maybe they start to question their own salvation. Does this mean that the Lord is coming soon? Am I ready? Again, it just riles people up. Now, in the case of the Jews at this time, this would be especially true for people who wanted someone, anyone, to come and just overthrow the the Roman government. Anybody that just had the the wisdom, the guts, the courage, intestinal fortitude to just stand up and defeat the Romans so finally they can get their independence and have their, their kingdom once again. So yes, every time they would hear of wars and rumors of wars, these things would come to mind. Well, Jesus informs his disciples, his followers, that when they hear about these conflicts, that such was business as usual. To not be surprised. You see, every generation, every single generation that has come and gone and that will be, has its wars, or at least its rumors of wars. So these aren't to be seen as signs of the end, though they must, by divine necessity, take place before the end comes. In Matthew chapter 21, 24, verse 8, Jesus described these things as the beginnings of labor pains. Now for you women that have been through labor, you know what that feels like, you know what that means. It's not going through labor pains. It's it's a gradual process. It goes from light to heavy and uh, pretty extreme. I wouldn't want to experience it. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Well, next, Jesus warns them that before he comes back, Jews who are living through the tribulation period should expect international and civil wars, famines, earthquakes, And pestilences or plagues. And just like the labor pains, those two will become more frequent and more intense before his return. Again, without any one of them being the specific sign of the end. What's more, is he tells us that the heavens will join in. In the skies, they will see great signs in heaven that will terrify them. However, like the others, it mustn't alarm them either. Why? For it is necessary that these things take place first, but the end won't come right away. Now, this doesn't mean that God's people are submitting to blind fate. Rather, it means that they're yielding to the plan of a loving father, who works all things according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. In verses 12 through 19, Jesus offered the disciples not only a word about the nature of the tribulation, but also some practical instruction about persecution. First, the disciples were to expect persecution from the world their belief in him and his name will be cause enough for them to be put in jail and to be punished by the government furthermore Jewish religious leaders will join forces with the government to make this happen now if we believe that verses 12 through 24 describe the time between the, the rapture and the tribulation period, then those who follow him during that tribulation, those Jewish Christians, those that come to know Jesus and proclaim him as the Messiah will also be arrested, persecuted, tried before religious and civil powers, and they will be imprisoned. This might seem like a failure and tragedy to them, but actually the Lord would overrule it by making it a testimony for his glory. Second, they should recognize the opportunity for a witness. For my name's sake, he says. He tells them to use their persecution as an opportunity to tell others about Jesus. Again, their imprisonment might seem ineffectual, but the Lord will use it in a powerful way. This applies to Jewish Christians during the tribulation too. When they're being unjustly persecuted and imprisoned, they're not to prepare their defense in advance. In their hour of crisis, they're supposed to just trust the Lord God will give them a special wisdom, a special word to say, to say things that would completely confound their adversaries. It would be something that maybe they themselves would be surprised that they said or that they preached or that they shared. Christian brothers and sisters, this here, that particular passage there those verses is also applicable to us as well if the Lord wills it persecution will carry us to the highest government circles to plead our case when that happens tell the mayors the governors maybe the senators the representatives and maybe even the president about Jesus. We're not to defend ourselves. We are there to make sure everyone knows about Jesus. We can tell them about Jesus by showing how He is responsible for our being. Where that He's responsible for being where we're at. Even if it's at a maximum security prison, if you're there because you're being persecuted, because of your faith, because of your belief, then again, use that. He has you there for a reason. So use that opportunity to just share Christ. Maybe there's that one prisoner that's on death row or or maybe it's, the entire life's been struggling with drugs and alcohol and and never really heard the truth about Jesus. They've heard many versions of who Jesus is, but they don't know the truth about Jesus. They've never heard the gospel in a very simple and loving way. So maybe he has you there so that person can get saved. There's there's always a reason and a purpose for where God has you. Whether it's in your home, sitting comfortably, watching the new baseball season or whether it's in prison, whether it's at work, he has you there for a reason. So just look for those opportunities. Third, not only will the disciples and tribulation saints endure official persecution from the government, but there will also be opposition from family and friends. Relatives will even follow in the footsteps of Judas and betray their Christian loved ones in order for them to be killed. Hatred, arrest, and death will be the lot of many of God's children during the tribulation. Now, if you're a child of God today, if you're a born-again believer, a Christian, this is important to know and understand because yes it could happen one day you might also be betrayed your best friends and your closest family members will turn you over to the enemy and they may even kill some of you because they can't stand you for being a christian for talking about for being in love with jesus more than you are more than you love them this won't be easy but if it happens if you're persecuted sent to jail if you're if you're ostracized if you're no longer welcome to the family cookouts to the barbecues then use those moments use that time that you would have been there as a time to build your faith and your trust in Christ remember keep this in mind Pain will last for a moment, but glory will be yours for all of eternity. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow believer, being a Christian isn't meant to be a popularity contest. You're not running for office or trying to make as many friends as possible. If you are, if that's what you're trying to do, I would suggest you carefully re-examine what it means to follow Jesus. The reality is, in every aspect of your life, you're to be, a, you're to be testifying about Jesus. You're to be an example of faith in God and faith in Jesus. you got to die to yourself. You ought to be, again, uh, you ought to look at Jesus' Jesus's humility. He was washing his disciples' feet. It's an image that comes to my mind. Are you willing to to humble yourself even in in those positions to love others, to love those that are in the church, your brothers and sisters. Again, it's Christianity isn't meant to be a popularity contest. If the religious leaders attacked our Lord and hated him, more than likely, you should expect that you will be attacked and hated too. Why? Well, Jesus tells us Why, in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. And then finally, speaking again to his disciples, they must expect the promise of preservation and endurance from the Lord. In verse 18, Jesus tells his disciples that, but not one hair of, of your head will be lost. This here can only mean that though some would die as martyrs for Christ, their spiritual preservation would be complete. They would die, but they would not perish. Here again, the words of our Lord and Savior found in John chapter 11, verse 26. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So verse 19 19 then indicates That those who patiently endure for Christ, rather than renouncing Him, will thus prove the reality of their faith. Those who are genuinely saved will stand true and loyal at any cost. We as American Christians enjoy freedom, enjoy lots of freedoms, especially from government prosecution. And for the most part, we don't have to worry about our families putting us in jail for going to church or for even being a born-again believer. However, there are others in many, many other countries who suffer greatly for their faith. And what our Lord said here is an encouragement to them. And it may one day be an encouragement for us if we're ever in that situation. So if you're out there and, and, and you are, if you're suffering just because you love Christ, just because you believe in Him and trust Him and, and you read, you want to read His Word and study it and you want to become more like Him, if you're suffering for that, this is what the Lord wants you to know by this verse in verse 19 now I'm paraphrasing here I am giving you these signs so that you will not be surprised you will remember I told you they were coming you will not yield to temptation or join the world or the devil you are to remain true to me through all persecution and catastrophe Only by such perseverance can you gain your life for eternity. Remember, I warned you these things were coming. Keep the faith. Trust me through everything. Stay under God's protection. Let me remind you once again that these things that Jesus described here should be seen in the context of his second coming. Because a lot of these things, these wars, these rumors of wars, these rebellions, these earthquake, you know, plagues, um, they've been going on for centuries. But here, well, here's what we need to know as as believers. As the coming of the Lord draws near, we need to understand and not be surprised that these things will multiply and they will intensify again the labor pains so even if you don't agree with our church's view on how he will come or when he will come and we all need to heed these three admonitions don't be deceived don't be afraid don't worry the Lord, again, still has so much more to say about this, about future events. But for now, we'll, we'll stop here. Again, we'll be going on for another hour, but we'll continue with this next week. So whether it's your finances or anything else that may lie ahead, the future, give God your all in all now the bible is clear about what the conditions of the world will be like when he returns we read about that already just a little bit today but if you were to go in revelation and and other passages it's not going to be pretty it's not going to be a, a time of sure there's going to be a, maybe for a little bit for a few years people are going to be getting along and it may seem like you know peace has finally come to the earth but That second half of the tribulation is going to be a time that no man has ever seen before. And honestly, I don't wish it on the person I least like at work. I was going to say hate, but I don't hate anybody. Um, I wouldn't want anyone to be going through that time. And sadly, I know a lot of people that... Say, well, I'll just wait for the rapture to happen. Then I'll believe. Did you know that the Bible says that there will be a great deception happening? That people will actually, just like we see on TV and, 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 and people talking, they will actually believe the lies. The devil will set up an image and that, you know, that image will begin to talk. I don't know, It's going to be some weird stuff happening. So people will be blinded. People will be deceived. So you can't sit there and say, oh, I'll believe after. You don't know that for sure. You Right now, today, while you have the opportunity, you can believe, you can trust in Him. You don't have to go through that tribulation period. You can live your life now for Him, in obedience for Him. Yes, again, it's, it's going to be challenging and you may have to sacrifice, give, give up, A lot of things drugs alcohol women men pornography but in the end it will all be worth it you will be living for all of eternity with the Lord with new glorified bodies and you'll be just basking in the glory and joy of the Lord forever this life short 70 75 years even 80 years average lifespan and it's just tiny compared to all of eternity don't wait don't you know again things are going to get ugly and you don't want to be part of that again when he comes back he will definitely punish his enemies. So let me ask you, do you want to avoid what's coming during the tribulation period? Do you want to avoid all that mess and just come to know him today and be raptured when it's it's that time? And again, avoid all that mess, all that junk. If you do, you can. Actually, you can avoid all that by simply coming to the cross of Jesus and there asking him to forgive you of your sins and in placing your faith and trust in him. See, Jesus came to forgive you of your sins. An innocent man didn't do anything was completely perfect fulfilled the law 100% and yet he was betrayed he was tortured nails through his hands and through his feet and he was mocked spear was put through his side all of that He suffered all that for you so that you won't have to suffer in eternity. He took on the punishment that we deserved. So He wants to forgive you of your sins. You just have to accept it. So if that's what you would like to do, if you're ready to believe in Him, to open a door to your heart to Him, to become a born-again believer and and have them radically change and transform your life, then I want you to, I want to invite you to, to to pray this simple prayer with all sincerity, with all your heart, Lord Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I admit that I failed and fallen short of your father's glory. So now I come to the cross and ask you to forgive me of my sins. All those things that I did, all those people that, are har- that I harmed. Forgive me, God. I do believe that you died on the, sin- on the cross for my sins. And then three days later, rose from the dead so I now turn from my sins I repent of my sins and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior Jesus thank you for saving me I now ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me in my new born again life in your name I pray amen if you prayed that contact us let us know we want to hear from you we want to help you in your next steps of your new Christian walk and um, if you're here locally we want to invite you to come check us out uh, the Lord has blessed me I'm not sick yet so until then, I, I will be here, and I'd like to meet you and, and, and talk to you and hear your story and how you came to the Lord. even if, even if you haven't, we still want you to come. you know, we're not an inclusive kind of church. We want anybody to come, whatever background you're from, there will be no judgment here. We just you, know, you can just sit here and just listen to what the Word of God says. Again, there's no judgment here just want to talk to you. And if you don't want to talk, that's okay. But, you know, usually I'm a pretty talkative person. So um, come by and check us out. So, uh, again, give God your all in all.